Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hurry, hurry, hurry to Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. And welcome to Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio theater. Tonight is episode 529, Fun and Fear Audio. I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Seems like there's never enough time to talk about the world of audio in our hour, is there, Jack? <laughs> Absolutely true. And tonight is no exception as we transition ourselves into the countdown to Halloween. Oh, I love this time of year. Well, we begin tonight's show with a fun tale from the amazing Chatterbox Audio Theater with Marjorie and her magic words. And end with a spooky tale from Room 503 Productions Just a Campfire Scare and it all happens right here on the Sonic Society. Chatterbox Audio Theater and Theater Memphis's Show Wagon present Marjorie and the Magic Words, a live radio play written by Robert Arnold. <laughs> Here she be, Long John, the one we told you about. We catched her hiding in the ship's apple barrel, spying and whatnot. Is that so? Well, girl, you've made a very dangerous mistake today. What do you have to say for yourself? Take a hike, Long John Silver! (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it is, eh? Well, why don't you take a hike right off the plank? Oh, oh, no! You'll never get away with it! Dr. Livesey and Squire Trelawney will find you out! You don't stand a chance! Is that so? It is! And what's more... (gasps) You haven't gotten rid of me yet! On guard! Yeah! Marjorie! Take that, you scurvy sea dog! And that! Marjorie! You'll never capture me! You'll never ca- Marjorie, are you listening to me? Oh, uh, yes, Miss Carter. Good. In that case, please go to the board and show the class how to solve the equation. Uh, yes, Miss Carter. This is Marjorie. But you can call me first mate, Marjorie. She's a bit of a bookworm. I've been known to read a little. It's just that she loves stories so much. Who doesn't? In fact, she's such a reader that her parents give her a brand new stack of books every year on her birthday. Whoa! Treasure Island? (gasps) Alice in Wonderland? Where the sidewalk ends? Oh, 
Mom and Dad. They last her a couple of weeks. And then it's off to the library. But even though Marjorie loves to read, she likes other stuff too. For instance, last summer her little sister Mary, who was still just a kid and so boring, hey, got the most amazing science kit for her birthday. Whoa! It is amazing. It had everything: a butterfly house, a fingerprinting set, tools for digging up fossils, and a microscope so that you can look at stuff that's really tiny but see it up close. And also a telescope so you can look at stuff that's really far away and see it up close too. And you can make your own volcano that really erupts. Thing is, Mary didn't seem to appreciate the science kit. Cool. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Cool? Thanks? Is that all she has to say? Cool? Thanks? Their parents said. Well, we know that Marjorie is the reader of the family. So we thought Mary might want to be the scientist, and that was understandable and might have been okay if only. If only Mary would let me play with the science kit. No. Just for a little while? Mm, no. Maybe build one volcano? No. Look at one bug under the microscope. No. Marjorie knew that she needed to hatch a plan. More than a plan, an investigation. So Marjorie P.I. decided to take the case. That Mary is one tough bird, but she'll crack all right. Sooner or later, every bird has to sing. One night at dinner, while the whole family was eating, Marjorie's sister Mary said. Dad, can I have some more potatoes? What's the magic word? Now you and I probably know the answer to that question, right? We know that the magic word is please. But somehow Marjorie had never heard that expression, and so she thought to herself, "A magic word? What did it mean? How could a word be magic?" Your clue—a magic word, a word more powerful than a normal word. But what could such a word accomplish? What kind of power did it have? Could it make people do things, like share things they didn't want to share, like science kits? Marjorie listened carefully to see how her sister would respond. Please. Okay, dear. Here you go. It worked, and the word was please. It was as simple as that. Marjorie P.I. has cracked the case. Later, Marjorie put her newfound knowledge into action. Oh,、uh, hello, Mary. What are you doing in my room? I just thought I'd drop by. You know, say hello. Maybe see about borrowing a certain science kit. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I think you'll change your mind once you hear what I have to say. What? Um. Please. No. <laughs> Perhaps you didn't hear me. I said. Um. Please. No. Get out of my room. What? What? What just happened? It was incredible. That was the magic word. Yet Mary had resisted. Like it was just some plain old word, some non-magic word. Marjorie had used the magic word, but her sister had ignored it. There was only one explanation. <gasps> Mary must be more powerful than the magic word. <gasps>
It was pretty shocking. I see I have underestimated you, my dear sister. Well played. Well played. But maybe, Marjorie thought. Maybe please is a magic word, but not the magic word. Maybe she could find another word that was more magic, more powerful than please. And then the science kit would be hers. Thankfully, she knew exactly where to look. In books! That's where words hang out, after all. So the next day, during lunch, Marjorie visited her school's library. Hello, Mr. Trumbull. Hello, Marjorie. Can I help you find something? I need a book about magic words. Magic words, huh? Well, lots of stories involve magic words. Let's see. Do you know the tale of Alibaba and the Forty Thieves? No. It's from a book called One Thousand and One Nights, sometimes called the Arabian Nights. The stories in it are hundreds of years old. I think you will like it. Come on, I know right where it is. That night, Marjorie started reading One Thousand and One Nights, the book Mr. Trumbull had recommended. It was chock full of stories. This particular story was called Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. It was about a man named Alibaba who lived a long time ago in the Middle East and who worked as a woodcutter. Done! Another masterpiece, Morgana! Take this chair to the market and see how much you can get for it. Yes, Alibaba. Alibaba was not rich, but he was talented. He had a servant named Morgana, who was very clever and loyal, and who sold his wares for him. One day, while Alibaba was out for a walk in the forest, <laughs> he heard a band of thieves approaching on horseback. <laughs> Uh-oh. These guys are bad news. And there were at least 40 of them. Fearing for his safety, Alibaba climbed a tree and hid among the branches. Unfortunately, the band of thieves happened to stop directly below the tree where Alibaba was hiding. Just my luck. Alibaba heard the leader of the thieves say, Look around, men. We don't want anyone to discover our secret spot in the forest. The men looked left and right, but they did not think to look up. Then, as Alibaba watched, the leader of the thieves leaned over a big rock and uttered the words, Open sesame. With that, a door opened in the rock, leading to a dark cave. One by one, the thieves went inside. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> wow! I wonder what they're hiding in there. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Alibaba didn't have to wander long. Soon the thieves came out, and they were holding... Gold! Diamonds! Rubies! Riches of all kinds! Come on, men. Let's go spend some of our earnings. Use all you want. There's plenty more where that came from. But first... As before, the leader leaned over the rock, but this time he said... Close, sesame. 
And sure enough, the door in the cave closed right up. Let's go! <laughs> Once the thieves rode off, Alibaba climbed down from the tree, knowing full well that he was putting himself into danger. Because those guys are bad news. He leaned over the rock and whispered the magic words. Open sesame. As soon as Alibaba said this, the door to the thieves' treasure cave opened right up. Oh boy! Alibaba thought to himself. Now you're really in deep. Later that day, Alibaba's servant Morgana returned from the market. Hey, I sold your chair. I got two gold pieces and whoa! Shh! Get inside, Morgana. Shut the door. Where did all this treasure come from? So Alibaba told his servant all about the secret cave where the thieves hid their treasure, and about the magic words that opened the door. But Alibaba, those guys are bad news. They're gonna come looking for you. Morgana was right. In fact, already the thieves had discovered the missing treasure, and they were going door to door through the town to see if they could figure out who took it. Just at that moment, one of the thieves knocked on Ali Baba's door. Open up! My friends and I are looking for the weasel who stole our gold. Ali Baba and Morgana kept quiet, and the thief might have gone on to the next house, but he noticed something. What's this? Ali Baba had not been as careful as he thought. On his way up the steps to his house, he had dropped a single gold piece. Seeing it, the thief knew he had his man. Gotcha! <laughs> the thief went off to collect his fellow thieves, who, as you know, were bad news. Before he left, though, the thief used his knife to carve an X into the door of Ali Baba's house. This way, I can be sure to find the right house again. See you soon. <laughs> Morgana, did you see what happened? He marked the house. Well, that's it. We're toast. I knew I should have left that gold alone. But remember how I told you that Morgana was very clever. Hang on, Alibaba. I have an idea. It wasn't long before the thieves returned. Their leader, though, realized that the sight of forty bad news dudes all riding into town together would surely scare everybody off, and then the thieves would never get their gold. So he and all but one of his men hid inside thirty-nine big baskets carried on their horses' backs. The last thief, the one who had found Ali Baba's house, led the pack of horses through the town. Well. You said you could lead us to the house of the man who stole our gold. Hurry up, will you? It's hot in here. You got it, boss. See, I cut an X into the front door with my knife so I wouldn't forget which house it is. <laughs> it must be this one here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. There's an X on that door too. What? And another there? And another there. <gasps> <gasps> In fact, Morgana and Alibaba had gone around cutting X's into the front door of every single house in town. Now the thieves had no idea which house held their gold. 
The men in their baskets grumbled angrily. Oh, imbecile! We just spent days searching for that gold, and now you've lost it again. I'm sorry, boss. I thought my plan was foolproof. Obviously, it wasn't, because you still managed to ruin it, you fool! <sighs> Meanwhile, a crowd of townspeople had begun to gather around the pack of horses, gazing curiously at the big baskets they carried. Alibaba and Morgana were among them. Alibaba called from the crowd. See, friends? These are the men I told you about. They are a fleet of garbage men. They have brought their baskets here to carry away all of the town's garbage. Happy for the opportunity, the townspeople began dumping their garbage into the baskets containing the thieves. Wait, stop. Yuck. Get us out of here, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. A brilliant idea, Morgana. Looks like you took out the trash. Yeah. Cool. So, that was the story of Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Not bad, huh? Not bad. And it gave Marjorie some new magic words to try out. She went back to her sister's room. What do you want? Um... Open sesame! What? Open sesame? You're weird. Close sesame. Okay, so those magic words didn't work either. Uh, maybe it was time to give it up and let Mary keep the science kit for herself? I'm trying again. Right. So Marjorie took 1001 Nights back to the library. Did you enjoy it? I really did, but it turns out that open sesame is not the magic phrase that I was looking for. No? Okay, I have another idea. Do you know the story of Rumpelstiltskin? So, Mr. Trumbull steered Marjorie to a book of fairy tales collected by two German brothers, the Brothers Grimm. That night, Marjorie read the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin is about a beautiful young girl. Hey. Who was the daughter of a miller. The girl had a lot of different talents, but in order to make her really stand out, her parents boasted that she had the magical ability to spin straw into gold. It's true. She learned how to do it from, uh, a witch, I guess. Dad, come on. You're embarrassing me. But it was too late. The king had gotten wind of the girl's supposed talent, and he ordered her to be brought to the castle. Let's see if you really are as clever as your father says. Here is an entire room full of straw and a spinning wheel. Show me that you can spin all this straw into gold. Once you've done that, I'll allow you to return to your family. In case you don't know, spinning wheels are built to spin wool from sheep into yarn you can use to knit things. They're definitely not built for turning straw into gold. So what if I, like, can't do it? Then I guess you'll be locked in this room for a long, long time. Good luck. Oh, man. And though the girl did her best to remain brave, she thought about her home and her family, and she started to cry. 
Why do you weep, beautiful young thing? Whoa! The girl was surprised to hear a voice inside the locked room. She looked up to see a strange, ugly little creature. She had no idea where he had come from. Who are you? My name isn't important at the moment. What is important is that I think I can help you. I doubt it. I have to spin all this straw into gold. Why, it just so happens that spinning straw into gold is my specialty. Really? Can you help me? I can, but I require something in return. Totally. What do you want? Well, what have you got? Um, how about my necklace? It must be worth something. Yes, that will do nicely. All right. In exchange for your necklace, I will spin this straw into gold. Deal. And so the strange little creature sat down at the spinning wheel and began to turn it. He fed straw into one end of the wheel, and when it came out the other end, gold. Dude, that's pretty amazing. By morning, all the straw in the room had been turned into gold. The king was happy, but now that he knew the girl had this valuable skill, he was reluctant to let her leave. So he took her to a larger room with even more straw. Spin all this straw into gold for me. After that, I'll allow you to return to your family for realsies this time. Oh man. The girl was worried, but before long, the little imp-like creature reappeared. It looks like you could use my help again. What would I have to give you to spin this whole room of straw into gold? Well, what have you got? Um, I've got this ring. It's been in my family for a really long time. A ring? Hmm. Yes, that will do. Out of my way, girl. And so, as before, the little creature sat down at the spinning wheel and spun all the straw into gold. As soon as he was done, he vanished. When the king arrived the next morning, the girl said, "There, all done. Can I go home now?" But the king, who wasn't a bad guy really, had taken a liking to the girl. And why not? She was polite. She was pretty. She could turn straw into gold. That's not a bad list of characteristics. So, looking for any excuse to keep her around, he said, "Not quite. I have one more challenge for you. Behold, the largest room in the castle. It is filled to the rafters with straw from the royal stables. Spin this straw into gold, and I promise, after that, I will set you free." The girl rolled her eyes, but she wasn't really worried any more. All right, jeez, let's get on with it. Sure enough, the little imp returned, but this time there was a problem. I already gave you my necklace. I gave you my ring. I don't really have anything else. Ah, but this is the largest room of all, so it requires the most precious gift. The girl thought and thought, but she couldn't come up with anything that would satisfy the creature. A pizza party? No. Free back rubs for life? No. A horse? 
But like one of those little ones with the short legs. Get serious, girl. Why don't you just tell me what you want? Very well. Listen carefully. Even after all this straw has been turned into gold, you will not leave this castle. I won't? No, because the king has decided to take you for a wife. You will be happy here, and after two years, you will bear a child, a boy, a successor to the throne. Oh, okay. That's cool, I guess. I want you to give me that child. Wait, what? You want me to give you my firstborn child? Why? I need somebody to play cards with. I mean, do not concern yourself with why. Can't you just get your own? Oh, sure, because potential wives are just lining up at my door. <laughs> Dude, don't sell yourself short. You can spin straw into gold. The point is, promise me your firstborn, and I will spin the straw into gold. Otherwise, you will remain locked in this room, and you will never have a firstborn at all. It was a wicked deal, but the little creature had a point. The girl was stuck, so with a heavy heart, she agreed to the arrangement. Ha! I'll be done with this room by morning. Well, everything happened just as the little man predicted. When the king returned to find that enormous room filled with gold, he was overwhelmed with happiness. And right then and there, he asked the girl to become his bride. They wed, and the girl became a queen. For two years, they lived together happily in the castle. And to be honest, the queen soon forgot all about the little imp. In time, as predicted, she bore a son. Oh, he has your eyes. Dude, don't be lame. But one night, while the king was away, guess who? The strange little creature reappeared in the castle. It's time for you to make good on your bargain. You promised me your firstborn, and I am here to collect. Wait, hang on a second. I'm sure I can find something even better to trade you.、Mm, how about treasure, lady? I can spin straw into gold. What do I want with treasure? How about land? Gold buys land. And besides, I have a little cottage by the lake. It's all I need. Isn't there any way to talk you out of this? There is, but only one. You will be released from your promise only if you are able to guess my name. Guess your name. That's it. That's it. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Tony? Nope. Harold? No. Billy? Not even close. Franklin? You don't really meet many Franklins nowadays, do you? I know. The queen went on guessing deep into the night, but to no avail. Eventually, the little man grew tired. He told her he would return in a fortnight—that's two weeks—to claim the child, unless she had guessed his name. The queen was distraught, but she was also clever. The little man had mentioned that he lived in a cottage by a lake. So the queen sent her team of huntsmen out to look for such a cottage, and to find the name of the person who lived there. Eventually, at a far corner of the kingdom, one of the huntsmen came across a quaint little house at the edge of a peaceful lake. Smoke rose from the chimney. The huntsmen crept up to the window and peered inside. 
sure enough, there was the little imp, stirring a bubbling pot of stew. As he stirred, he sang to himself. Oh! Badly. Oh! The queen is in my debt these days. She owes her next of kid. I'll have them because she'll never guess my name is... The huntsman laughed a little at this revelation. It was a pretty ridiculous name, after all. Having heard what he needed to hear, he rode back swiftly to the castle and informed the queen, who knighted him for his efforts. <laughs> Two weeks later... All right, Queenie. I'm here to take back what's mine. Oh, come here, you little Easter egg. Yes, you're going to learn to play a mean canasta, let me tell you. Wait a minute. Where do you think you're going with my son, Rumpelstiltskin? <gasps> what? No, no. Who told you? Who told you my name? Oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. The little man became so angry that he stamped his foot against the ground, and he continued stamping until he had stamped a deep hole into the earth. Not fair! Not fair! Not fair! Down which he disappeared, never to be seen again. Whoa. Maybe we can put a swimming pool in there or something. And that's Rumpelstiltskin. Did you notice what the magic word was in that story? His name. Right. Names have power because names have meaning. When your parents named you, after all, they had some idea of the kind of person they hoped you would be, and they picked out your name to reflect that. Marjorie returned to her sister's room. I believe that we've been going about this all wrong. So I just wanted to check in on that science kit. Mary? Oh. Well, you can't have it. But... Mary? Stop bugging me! I hate to say it. Then don't. Fine. The next day, Marjorie went back to the library, but Mr. Trumbull wasn't there. On her own, though, she remembered another story, another Brothers Grimm fairy tale, as it turns out, where words were used to make people do things, and that story was Cinderella. Now, you probably all know the story of Cinderella, so you don't need to hear it again from me. Cinderella is kind and virtuous, blah, 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 fairy godmother, etc., etc., happily ever after. But the part of the story Marjorie was thinking about was the stepsisters. Cinderella, you loathsome creature! Where is my dress for the ball? And where are my shoes, dummy? You were supposed to spit-shine them! <sighs> True, in most versions of the story they're known as the wicked stepsisters. But you know what? Those ladies got things done. Cinderella, you twig-limbed spinster! I thought I told you to sweep this floor, and yet I see a speck of dust under the table, you irredeemable slob! You should sweep and mop the whole house again, dummy! <sighs> now, don't feel too bad for Cinderella. As you know, she gets some nice clothes from her fairy godmother, meets a prince, and marries him when she leaves behind a glass slipper that he fits to her foot. 
so she'll be okay, even though right now she's dealing with those awful stepsisters. Cinderella, you mud-stained gorgon! You noxious sewer troll! I'm hungry! Yeah, we want our dinner! Dummy! Thinking about this part of the story, and only this part, was enough to give Marjorie another idea. What? What? What do you mean, what? You loathsome creature! Dude, what are you doing? Are you okay? I'm more than okay, you mud-stained gorgon! How dare you ask me a question like that? Why are you being so mean? Be a good spinster and get me that science kit! Now! Dummy! <laughs> oh, 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 hang on a minute! No. Oh, Mary! Oh, no! See, I was just... It was just for a story! I didn't mean to... That did not go well. The next day at school, Marjorie went back to the library. Hello, Marjorie. Did you ever find your magic words? Mr. Trumbull, I... I think I messed up. I thought I could get what I wanted using words like Cinderella's stepsisters used. You mean Cinderella's wicked stepsisters? That doesn't sound very nice. It wasn't. I kind of made my sister cry. But I didn't mean to. Why did it hurt her feelings so bad? Well, Marjorie, it's unfortunate, but I think you just figured out something about those magic words you were looking for. What, that they're mean words? No, not at all. Think about it. All words are magic. They can inspire us, anger us, make us laugh, even hurt our feelings. It just depends on how you use them. I guess that makes sense. Think of it this way. Have you ever wondered why you like reading so much? Because I get to be a pirate and a woodcutter and a little imp. Exactly. You get to imagine all that just from some words arranged on a page. That must be a kind of magic, don't you think? Yeah, I do. So when you use words carefully and in a positive way, you harness their magic for good. But when you use them carelessly and negatively, you can really hurt people, even people you care about. Thanks, Mr. Trumbull. That helps. I'm going to go home and try to make things right. And so, that afternoon, Marjorie once again went back to her sister's room. Hey, Mary? What do you want? I'm sorry I was rude to you. I didn't mean any of that stuff I said. I was just pretending to be Cinderella's stepsister. Oh. So, I'm really sorry. I feel bad. It's okay, I guess. How come you never let me play with you? What? What do you mean? I mean, I see you out there all the time, playing pirates and knights and stuff. It looks fun. How come you never asked me to play? I... I don't know. I guess I just didn't think you'd be interested. Well, I am. You know, the truth is, I always pretend like you're there with me. In fact, the other day you were a girl who became a queen, and I was this weird little imp creature who was trying to steal her baby. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, it was. Come on. I'll tell you the story and then we can act it out, okay? Cool. Thanks. 
Hey, maybe sometime we can both play with that science kit. Really? That would be great! Okay, so you're this girl, right? And to impress the king, your parents tell him that you can spin straw into gold. (laughs) So the king locks you up in his castle and then he tells you... And so Marjorie and her sister Mary went off to play. Together, I bet the two of them will come up with dozens of magic words. Don't you think? You have been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater and Theater Memphis's Show Wagons production of Marjorie and the Magic Words by Robert Arnold. Featuring Lena Wallace as Marjorie, Zach Williams as the narrator, and Doug Johnson and Taylor Wood as pretty much everybody else. Sound effects by Doug Johnson and Taylor Wood. Music by the cast. Produced by James Antoine. Directed by Leslie Barker. The mission of Chatterbox Audio Theater is sparking imaginations through outstanding theatrical recordings. Download our shows, meet our cast and crew, and make a donation to support our work at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Just a Campfire Scare, an original audio play. I just don't know, Greg. Ah, come on, Danny. It'd be hilarious. Besides, you ever take a youth scout troop camping before? Can't say I have. Yeah, well, trust me when I tell you that the only sure way to get them to go to their tents and not mess around for hours is a good ghost story. They get a good scare. You reassure them it's all good. They go on to sleep after the adrenaline wears off. And we get to enjoy a beer under the stars while they sleep. What do you say? Well... Look, man, I won't lie. You've been here nearly a month, and you haven't done anything with the community. Now, maybe that's normal in the big city, but in Greenlawn, everyone knows everyone. And anyone who doesn't jump in with this kind of thing, well, they get unpopular. Quick. Really? Yeah, like a bad reputation. Like the kind of person nobody wants nothing to do with. The kind of person who's not to be trusted. I'd hate to see that happen to a nice guy like you. Just saying, consider what could happen if you keep being such a loner. Think on it anyway. I just don't know. Man, didn't you do anything with people in Kentucky? With people? (laughs) No. What did you do? Stuff. Things. I kept to myself. People, you know, weren't my strong point. Maybe one good friend. Well, now's your chance to turn it around, buddy. You're not going to let it go, huh? (laughs) Nope. I guess you got me. This time. No guarantees of the next time. One time's all you'll need, my friend. You'll get hooked. You know, when I first started working with the Scouts, it was pretty overwhelming. But you get used to it, and before you know it, it's like a mini vacation. Everywhere I go, I get pulled into this kind of stuff. Over and over. Seriously? Yeah, it'll be perfect. A machete. Look, I got one in the garage. Bought it years ago as a laugh, and it's just sad. Time it saw some use. Isn't that dangerous? Oh, it's sharp, but I trust you. (laughs) You ain't Jack the Ripper, man. (laughs) K.
can't we just use a prop or something? Trust me, Dance. The more realistic, the better. <laughs> They're gonna be shaking in their sleeping bags. We'll swing by my place and grab it. You just come on in your car and park in the next campsite. I already booked the space. I'll text your cell when we're getting ready. The boys have never seen you before. They will never see it coming. You always put this much effort into traumatizing kids? Oh, stop being so serious. We'll let them shake for a little, then I'll call them all back out. We'll introduce you, we'll make some s'mores, they'll go on to sleep. That adrenaline rush of being scared and then reassured takes them right out. Sit tight, I'll be just a sec. How do I let myself get roped into this kind of shit? I got it! Here you go. Just hold on to it for Saturday. You weren't kidding. This thing is sharp. Listen, I- Dance, trust me, it's fine. Just do me this solid and you'll be so in with the neighborhood. I'm talking great things here. <sighs> Hope so. <laughs> Guaranteed, bud. Come on, I'll give you a lift home. No, no, I I'm fine. I'll walk. Three blocks? Are you sure? I need the exercise. Just seems weird to walk home carrying a machete. <sighs> Insurance against muggers? <laughs> you ain't in the big city anymore, Dance. Green Lawn's not exactly crime central. You sure you want to walk with it, though? Yeah. I'm good. Alright, suit yourself. I'll fill you in tomorrow on all the final campsite details. Yeah. Tomorrow. Later, Dance. Congress is expected to vote on the proposed measure on Monday. In other news, Kentucky police and the FBI are working together in the largest manhunt in recent state history to apprehend a violent- Baby, I'm home! Hey, honey. So, how'd it go? Fan-freaking-tastic, hon. Danny is so in. Oh, you boys. You're going to scar those kids for life. <laughs> That's the plan. Three people dead, a further two missing, presumed What's dead. What's that noise about? Some string of murders in Kentucky over the last few months. It's been on the news all day. They're throwing around the words serial killer now. Scary stuff, knowing this is going on one state over. Makes me worry for you when you travel for work, you know. Baby, please. I'm an insurance salesman. Who's going to want to kill me? <laughs> I'm not nearly sensational enough. I still worry. You never know what kinds of nuts are out there, and I'd be so lost without you. Special Agent Howard Garner reports that there are presently no leads Ugh, in the case. turn it off. I'm gonna scar these kids for life? Compared to reality, my ghost stories are a freaking Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Well, just don't get too into it now. I don't want you and Dan getting arrested for brandishing chainsaws in the forest. Impossible. I gave him the machete. Oh, good lord. <laughs> I've married a madman. Tell me you're not just now noticing that. <laughs> a frickin' machete. Figures I moved to a new town and the one friend I make is nuts. Huh. Nice heft to it, though. Huh. It's almost pretty. Evening, sir. Everything alright? Oh, er, uh, yes, officer. Just, uh, just walking home. Nice, uh, machete you have there. You always carry that around when walking at night, sir? Oh, this? Well, I'm, uh, new in town. I know this guy named Greg, and he asked me to help with some scout thing. Long story, really. Greg? Oh, you must be the new guy he was talking about. Uh, Donnie, right? Yeah. He, uh, mentioned me to you? When we were talking the other day, he said he was going to see if he'd help out with the scout's campfire. 
Nothing like one of Greg's stories. <laughs> My son's still shaking from last year's. That guy always has something up his sleeve for them. I take it that big old blade means you're helping him out, huh? <laughs> oh, you bet. Gonna give them a, a real scare. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be great. Okay then, Donnie, you take care. Just, uh, be safe with that thing. I'll be swinging it around in the middle of the night. Someone will think you're looking for trouble. I'm not. My point exactly. Just keep that thing down, alright, buddy? Oh, right. Uh, sorry, officer. No problem, friend. Have a great time with the boys. Yeah. A great time. Hello? Hey, Dance. How's my psycho machete-wielding forest killer doing? Hey, Greg. <laughs> Just wanted to give you the campsite info, man. Straight into Green River Woods, left at the ranger station, campgrounds 471 and 472. We'll be in 471, and uh, 472 is just a bit up the path. Greg. Don't worry. A tree line is between them. Now, I'll shoot you a text at the start of the story around 830. So just sneak up on us around then and listen. Those boys will be so into it, they won't even notice you. When I get to the end, I'll say something like, I think we're safe. That's when you get to do your thing. Yeah, listen, Greg. You know, just jump right on in, swinging that machete and yelling like a madman. They'll jump, run for their tents, all freaked out. Greg, I can't do this. What? I... I'm just not comfortable. Sorry. I'll bring your machete back tonight. You can find someone else. Dance, there is nobody else. I'm counting on you, bud. I know, and I'm sorry, but... You're sorry. <sighs> listen, Dance... I wasn't playing when we were talking before about this town being close. We all know who can be trusted and who can't. You really want to be known in this community as the guy who bailed on the Youth Scouts? I... no, I don't, but... Then get with the program, man. Listen, if you gotta go home after the story, that's cool. I can handle them through the night, but I can't get the story right without you. The live surprise element is like 95% of what makes it work. You gotta be kidding. I'm not, Dan. You know, a bad reputation sticks to a guy. Like being known as a Welsher, a deserter, a- Fine. I'll do it. I'll be there. Awesome, Dance. See you Saturday. Don't forget the machete. Right. This is gonna be so great. Alright everyone, gather around, settle in by the fire. I have something very important to discuss with all of you. Something very serious. Now boys, not a lot of people know about this, but I just do not feel right keeping the truth from you. About 20 years ago. Starting the story, huh? Guess it's time, Greg. Ready or not, here I come. These very woods. In the campground one space over, in fact. A scout troop set up camp after hiking all day, much like we have. Now it was late and they were all tired, but they had a tradition of ending the day with a campfire and a song for luck. So they built their fire before turning in. It was a big roaring fire just like ours. What they didn't know, boys, is that they were being watched. Yeah, watched. Lay it on, Greg. Who knows? Maybe if the scout leader had listened to the radio or the news that morning, they would have known. Known what, Mr. Greg? That a killer 
had escaped the local jail that morning, or that he was last seen heading into these woods, or that he preyed upon campers. While the scouts roasted their hot dogs, they were being watched by this maniac. While they made their s'mores for dessert, he watched and waited. And when they sang their final campfire song for the night, he watched. Just when they were singing the last line of the song... Get on with it already. He struck! He leapt out of the woods, armed with a big hunting knife. No, wait, it was bigger. It was a machete for hacking through jungle. And he tore into the campsite and sliced them up into little pieces. Did did they ever catch the guy? Yes, they caught him leaving the woods. And he tried to fight his way out. They had to shoot him to take him down. But that's not really the end. Because one year later, to the day, another group of campers, this time two families camping together, was found killed by an unattended campfire, cut up just like those poor scouts. The following year, a Girl Scout troop was found just the same way. While the local cops and rangers knew what was going on, even if it seemed a little impossible, there was no other explanation because they never found any other clues and this only happened each year on that exact night. But they didn't want to scare anyone away from camping, so they quietly covered it up, paid people to keep quiet, and made a rule that the campsite just up the road was forever closed, that nobody could camp there ever again. There weren't any more incidents after that, so a lot of people think his spirit is just content to haunt the campsite and leave others alone as long as they don't go there. But there is one problem. What is it? Well, uh, to be honest, when I was gathering firewood and you boys were setting up the tents, I wandered into that campsite by mistake and uh, took kindling from it. I uh, I hadn't realized what I did until I was already back. I, uh, <clears throat> I feel so stupid for it, but it all happened so long ago and we're not actually at the same campsite, so I, uh, I think we're safe. <sighs> And here we go. Kill you all! Oh my gosh! Run to your tents! You'll be safe there! Hold them off! You took something from my grounds. You'll pay. You'll all pay. Love it, Dan. Nice work. Ah! Hi, boys. Hi. Chase him back to his place. Stay in the tents. Get away. Leave the boys alone. Go, man. Go. Oh, man, that was awesome. You did great, Dance. Yeah. I guess that was pretty fun after all. This machete's pretty easy to carry, you know. What'd I tell you, man? Ready to go back and let the boys know it's all good? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Here, want to take this thing so I don't scare them again? Good call, Danny. Thanks. Huh. I'd forgotten how easy it is to carry this thing. <laughs> What? <coughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, Dance. Nothing personal, just... I got a need. Besides, it's getting harder and harder to invent excuses Barbara will buy to go to Kentucky for my fun. What? You live there, man. I'm sure you saw the news. Each month, another body. Well, don't worry about it. 
I'd rather be anonymous than infamous anyway. But why... Why me? Why not, Dance? The new loner? Hardly anyone even talks to you. Sorry to say it, but you won't exactly be missed. <laughs> Thanks for getting a good campfire going, man. You won't believe the time it saves. Boys, come on out, it's okay. I chased him off. He dropped his blade, and he just vanished. It's really safe, Mr. Greg. He's really gone. I got the same machete he used to kill those people right here, even with the blood on it. Is it safe to touch it? I wouldn't. It has the blood of all his victims on it. See here? I think the only way to be sure we're safe is to just burn it. Well, boys, we all survived something nobody else has. Let's celebrate. Who's up for some s'mores before bed? Let's do it to it. Break out the supplies. Barbara, baby, I'm back. Hey, honey. So, how'd Danny do? Did the story go well? Oh, man, it was perfect. Danny dropped a bomb on me after, though. Said he got some job offer he thought had fallen through back in Kentucky. He left right after the story to make it back. The boys didn't even get a chance to meet him. Oh, that stinks. <laughs> but if I know you, you were happy to let the boys think it was all real, and you just chased the monster off. You know me too well, babe. Is that what I think it is? Hmm... Do you think it's a steak cooking for the best scout leader this town has ever seen? Maybe. <laughs> You'd be right. Go wash up. I'll have the best dinner ever for you shortly. You're the best, babe. Love you. <laughs> you have been listening to Just a Campfire Scare, an original audio play. It featured, in order of appearance, the voice talents of... Justin Nim as Danny. Michael Della Rosa as Greg. Silent Joe as Barbara. Seth Bramwell as Officer Tompkins. And Jack Peacock. As the Scouts and the Television News Reporter. The music is an excerpt of The Moon is on the March by the Builders and the Butchers, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Just a Campfire Scare was written, produced, and mixed by Seth Bramwell and released by Room 503 Productions. Please visit us on the web at room503prods.com. That's R-O-O-M 503 P-R-O-D-S Just a Campfire Scare is licensed under a Creative Commons Attributions License. If you'd like to feature or reenact it, please drop us a line. From all of us, thank you. Nothing like one of Greg's stories. <laughs> My stun stills. <laughs> And that's this week's show. Please join us next week as we go rabbit hunting. Looking forward to it. Until then, I'm Jack Ward, still digesting my Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> and I'm David Alt. Good night. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators, 
and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network always means a potpourri of entertainment, drama, comedy, action. Whew, it really stimulates the mind, don't it? Well, a great way to get your mind back into neutral gear is to catch bells in the battery on Friday Follies and Sunday Showcase. Silliness is the best cure for mental stimulation. Bells in the battery. Always odd, always family-friendly. If only I could convince my family to listen to it.